Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. Hey, everyone. Glad you're here. My name is Kari Menarchik, and I'm so happy to be with you today. I serve on staff here with the C3 team, and this means that I pastor kids in elementary school, which I love doing. Now, on a personal note, this weekend is a pretty special one for me because my birthday is tomorrow, and I'm turning 29, the last year of a whole decade. To some of you watching, that probably sounds pretty old, and others of you just rolled your eyes like you have no idea how young that sounds, which I guess kind of leaves everyone else somewhere in between. But no matter what your age is, we all have something in common, and that is that we're not going to live forever as we are now. Life on earth is gonna be over at some point and we're headed to an eternal destination. Having eternity in mind brings perspective to the now. And that's what our text today, Revelation 2 and 3, is about. But before we get there, I wanna share a story with you. So a year and a half ago, Matt, my husband and I, boarded a plane headed to Colorado. Uh, we got on and we did the Southwest shuffle, you know, where you like find your seat, put your bag up and just get out of the aisle. So we kind of sat down and I realized that our row didn't have a window. I hadn't seen that before. It was just a strip of paneling. And I thought, okay, well, that's what it is. So when the plane took off down the runway, I had an inch of perspective. I could see an inch out of the window, like of the row in front of me as I craned my head around. And the window on the far side of our row was the blinds were down, so it was closed. And as our plane took off, I had an inch of perspective and it was not enough because our plane climbed up and then it turned really hard one way or the other, but I had no way of orienting myself. And it brought this awful, nauseating vertigo that made me feel so disoriented. And in that moment of feeling so sick, what I needed the most was a view of the horizon because that would provide stability and relief by giving me perspective to what was happening right now. In a spiritual sense, looking at the horizon of eternity also gives perspective to the now, especially for the situations and choices that this life holds. So today you're gonna have to imagine with me that our lives are a plane ride. You know, you have your boarding pass that you scanned and it says destination eternity. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I mean, we're talking like an amazing destination. Revelation 22 in the breadth of scripture shares that God is making a home and is going to bring us to be with him, as Jeff said. So we're headed to this fullness of God's kingdom that we can't yet experience in its fullness yet now. So having that eternal destination in mind brings perspective to the now. Revelation 2 and 3 is a series of seven letters that were written from the designer of eternity to churches in the now. And they function kind of like a performance review with your boss or like a report card from your teacher, giving you a pretty blunt picture of reality. I'll tell you honestly, though, the letters are pretty dense. So if you start reading this passage, which I would encourage all of you to do, and you 
think like, what does this mean? Uh, that's exactly how I felt when I started looking at these. But I realized that this is such a great chunk of scripture that brings a good blend of invitation and challenge. So we are going to watch a house church read one of these letters to give you a flavor for what they're like. So without further ado, here is Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, stand at the door, and I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and I will share a meal together as friends. You who are victorious, sit with me on my throne, just as the victorious and sat with my father on the throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Thank you, ladies, for doing that. I enjoyed listening to it from your, um, from your perspective. And honestly, the original listeners of this letter or the recipients were Christians in seven of the churches in Asia Minor, as we see here on the map. Like Steve said last week, don't get too hung up on the actual numbers of the churches because although they're addressed to seven particular ones, it turns out that together the letters describe pretty much every major issue with which the church has struggled in every age, in every cultural setting, and each church would have likely read all of the letters as we can today. The believers were going through a time of testing, also called tribulation, and it was forcing them to choose between faithfulness and compromise. So as you consider your own life today on the plane ride, you too get the opportunity to choose faithfulness or compromise to God's word. I also want you to imagine a flight attendant walked down the aisle and handed you not coffee or Sprite, but a letter to you written from Captain God. You know, he is just as aware and tuned in to your life and our church as he was to the believers in the churches in ancient Asia. And so what might this letter hold for you? What might it say about your own life or about our church? So let's first see what the letters to Smyrna, what a name, right? And Philadelphia are about. These believers, given the choice between faithfulness and compromise, chose, any guesses? faithfulness. These believers, although were experiencing intense pressure because of their faithful loyalty to Jesus, they were seeking first the kingdom of God and their cities did not like it. They experienced loss of relationships, 
job, security, community, safety, and in some cases, their life. And it makes me think of Amon Jordan, where some of our extended church family lives and works. They and others around the world feel the everyday reality that faithfulness to Jesus comes at a cost. Those who follow Jesus in our city are also under pressure. Do you feel it mounting in your conversations, in politics, in relationships? Do you see how the values of God are clashing with some of the priorities of our culture? Well, this isn't new. It's happened for centuries. And the pressure comes because Satan is trying his best to delay the fullness of God's kingdom from invading the earth. But God is ushering in his fullness both now and when Jesus comes back. Ephesians 6 12 tells us that our struggle is not ultimately with human beings. It's with the highest spiritual authorities who are operating in rebellion against God. Now my pressure or my preference would be that there's not pressure or suffering to endure, but it's part of the now. And in the words of our captain, if he were to come on the loudspeaker of this plane and say, attention, there's some turbulence ahead and I wish I could fly over it, but I can't. So sit down, buckle up, we're in for a bumpy stretch. Growing up, I remember this physical fitness benchmark test that I had to do twice a year called the flex arm hang. You pull yourself up to a bar and you hold your position there with legs dangling and arms locked tight. Your chin can't touch the bar. And I don't think this person's expression adequately like shows the misery of the situation. I know my gym class though was cheering each other on like you've got this, hang on tight, don't drop. 10 more seconds and you can beat the school record. Looking back on that illustration, um, of you know faithfulness, I see Jesus in a gym class like this with his hands under my feet, bearing my weight in his mighty arms, pushing up, giving me the strength and the stamina to endure, to remain and hold on. And it wouldn't just be my sweaty gym class cheering us all on. It's a whole cloud of witnesses, believers throughout the times that say yes, Hold on, remain, stay faithful, grip that bar of truth because Jesus is the real deal. As we are called to remain faithful, to hold on, know that God promises to sustain you for the duration of it and to be with you. Emmanuel, right? God with us, the Prince of Peace. Did you, I mean, most of you probably know the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it means wholeness or completion. Think of it this way. We often think of peace as the absence of something, but it's actually the presence of someone. And this someone promises that within the swirling pressure, chaos, apathy, frustrations, losses, and turbulence in this plane ride of life that he is with us. As believers, we look forward with hope towards eternity because the peaceful presence of God is going to invade everything and there will be no more room or reason for pressure and persecution. The handle for some of you today might be to hold on, 
to Jesus and his truth, no matter what it means for your relationships, your reputation, or your life, because he's worth it. That hope of eternity with God gives perspective to the now. So back to the rest of the letters, we looked at two that were written to church as being faithful, and the other five go in a different direction. These believers were choosing their plane ride uh, in the way of being compromised to God's word. In the letter to Pergamum, we learned that they were compromising by participating in parts of cultural practices that did not honor God. Followers of Jesus, I mean, were understandably trying to figure out how do you live in a sexually charged polytheistic culture, and there were tough decisions to make as there are now. Many compromised by picking and choosing a little bit of this cultural practice, a little bit of this religious system. Ooh, I like that idea too. I'll just scoop, up, scoop it all up and sprinkle Jesus on top instead of submitting to God's authority in all areas of life. Over in Thyatira, another one of those churches, an influencer referred to as Jezebel was spreading this message of both and, like Jesus and idol worship or Jesus and sleeping around. And she was reframing what it means to follow Jesus apart from the truth found in his word. And that church kept her mic on and up instead of hitting mute. God isn't just one option for us on a buffet of ideas and beliefs. He's the ultimate framework, the author and the leader of life. Now his kingdom is designed to be inclusive for all people. No one is left out of the invitation to follow him and be part of his family. But he is not tolerant of all ideas and practices. This sets him and his followers apart from the acceptance that's highly regarded by society today, where every personal choice and viewpoint can find applause. Jesus was different because he is the truth, he speaks the truth, and he leads us into truth. And we follow him by making choices that align with his truth and his example. We willfully inactivate our inclination to pick and choose from the variety, the buffet of ideas, beliefs, and practices. This whole thing sounds so insanely countercultural, and it's hard for me to even say out loud sometimes because I know how it sounds to so many people I know and love. But I'll keep going that God's word is true. And by following Jesus, we are called to surrender every area of our life to his design. Another area or another letter in this category of compromise was written to the church of Laodicea. And this is the one that the house church ladies read for us. You know, the believers in Laodicea weren't actually criticized for holding false ideas about Jesus. It's just that there was no passion they held their beliefs respectfully, but without conviction. And you could basically describe their condition as like a mild approval or casual shrug towards Jesus. Laodicea was geographically situated between two cities. So there was Hierapolis, which was famous for its hot mineral springs, and Colossae on the other side, which was well known for its cold spring water. But Laodicea was lacking its own natural water source. 
So water had to be brought into the city from miles away through a, like a stone aqueduct system. And by the time this hot or cold water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And I'm not making up this alliteration, like it's really true. But this lukewarm water, it wasn't fresh. And in fact, it was disgusting and often made people throw up. So we see in the letter, Jesus says, I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. And I wish you were one or the other, like there's great properties of hot water and cold water. But because you are lukewarm, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. Yikes. One of the causes of lukewarmness is self-sufficiency. The people of Laodicea confidently said, we have all we need to make it on our own. The city was known for its wealth, its clothing, and its medicine. So picture like well-dressed, fashionable people with access to lots of resources in this famous medical school right there. As one author says, their church services probably still included hymns and scriptures about God being their only savior and hope. But because of their material sufficiency, they also assumed their own spiritual sufficiency. Like, we're good. We don't really need God. Does that hit home for any of you? Being a follower of God means intentionally disengaging from the mode of self-sufficiency. So most of you know what it's like to drive a vehicle. And when you shift, you have options like, what are they, drive, reverse, neutral, park, probably not in that order, low gear. And In a spiritual sense, a lot of us cruise along in the mode or the gear of self-sufficiency. And God says, no, don't pick that one, pick dependence on me. And it's tricky and hard, I know, you can't just will it to happen. I mean, when you're driving a manual vehicle, you have to like push in the clutch and shift and something. Um, I had a pretty traumatic experience learning how to drive a stick shift pickup truck. So it's not an easy process for me. And spiritually, it can be tough as well. You have to marinate yourself in scripture and in God's presence. Open the window blinds, like look out, see where we're going. Look at that horizon of eternity that brings perspective to the now and allow yourself to be captivated by the one who calls you into surrender. The final description of compromise is found in the letters to Ephesus and Sardis. Now, Ephesus did actually have some really faithful believers, but overall, both churches looked like booming, happening places. If they had websites, it would deal, or it would detail lots of programs, serving opportunities, and gatherings, no masks required. But if you stuck around long enough, you would start to think like something is off. And it's because they operated within this shell of routine that lacked encountering God. Their first love, their affection and intimacy with God was gone, leaving behind stale religious motions. Lutheran scholar Gerard Cordell recalls it ecclesiastical sleepwalking. And Jesus implores them to wake up. Don't just sleep through this plane ride going through the motions, like repent. What happened to that love that we shared? Like come back to me, not just for the sake of eternity, but in the now. So those are a picture of the five letters 
written to churches choosing compromise, whether it was that buffet of beliefs or the lukewarmness or the stale religion. And I wonder if something in those letters hit home in your heart. Some of you listening right now are recognizing that you need to stop and make a major U-turn in your life. That's repentance. It's turning away from sin and back to God. And it could mean some pretty big things like changing your habits or your commitments or your schedule in order to be able to restore your intimacy with God. Others of you might not be feeling nudged that there's something big to turn around from, but I bet there's some smaller areas of your life that God would love to realign. So you might need to make an appointment with our heavenly chiropractor because God wants to realign areas of your life to bring greater freedom and fullness to you. Think about laying face down on a chiropractor's table. So face down, I mean, it's quite a posture of surrender and trust. And there's no way I would get on a table face down if I didn't know the person who was about to work on my back. If it was a stranger with no training, no certification, no experience, there's no way I would lay there and just say, have at it, it's just my spinal cord. We have a God who has the certification, the experience, and the credibility, and you are not just another client to him. We're talking about the God who created you, who knows more about every single molecule in your body than any diagnostic report or lab scan could tell you about. Now, when you, you know, meet with your chiropractor, they probably get you to relax, and then things get a little uncomfortable. You don't know quite like when or what is gonna happen. You know the crunch is probably gonna come, but you just have to release control. And they know that there's a tension to manage of not being too soft, but also not breaking your back. So do you need to get on the table face down and allow God to realign things in your life? Perhaps he will reframe your perspective. Maybe he's gonna readjust your motives or reshape your affections. And as you let him do these things, you surrender, but you don't control. And part of what that means is maybe not having the exact words to be able to describe what's happening. Like you might not be able to recount the exact experience to someone else or to your small group, and that's okay. There's no need to prove what God is doing. Just know that He's at work. And as Laura shared in her three pauses update on Friday, a regular rhythm of repentance leads to celebration and joy. It's a healthy lifestyle for all of us. So as we're here on this plane ride, having looked at the seven letters in Revelation, let's take a minute to consider what God in his kindness might have written on yours for you or for our church. Maybe you're being called to remain in that flexed arm hang, to hold on because he's worth it. Stay faithful. Or maybe you feel a stirring that you really need to repent, whether it's that major U-turn or getting on the chiropractor's table and allowing our great physician to bring alignment to the areas of your life that he knows need it for your love and for, because of his love and for your good.
So in either scenario, whether it's remain or repent, think about this, where is God? Well, he's with you. He's Emmanuel, God with us. In the now, there's nowhere you can go outside of his presence. Like you are stuck on this plane and God is your captain. And while you're here, there's a really big choice that you get to make. And it's only makeable in the now, while you're on the plane. You have the invitation to choose eternity with God. Now, yes to this choice means life with him now and forevermore and being with him in this home that he's creating for you. A no to that invitation means something else. And let me explain. On the plane ride now, whether or not you want it, you're still experiencing aspects of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's someone praying for you. If you're listening to live stream right now, you're hearing truth from God's word. Maybe you notice his creativity in creation. Or because God came and gave us his Holy Spirit, you know, to those who follow him, um, as we say sometimes here, the, they're mobile temples and there's probably some mobile temples living in your neighborhood or interacting with you in our community. Maybe you've witnessed restored relationships or even healing and all of those things are parts of the kingdom of God that are part of the plane ride now. But when you talk about our destination, it's either option all in with God or option all without God. And the choice between those two is something that's only makeable in the now. And the thing is, we're not exactly sure when our flight's gonna land or when Jesus is gonna come back. So that's where the urgency comes from for that decision. If you want to talk more about how to follow Jesus now and forevermore, um, just email the cross at salemalliance.org. Melanie is the friendly person on the other side of the send button, and she would love to talk with you about that process. So we have not just that big choice to make, but many more, individually and collectively, in the now for the sake of eternity. That is the horizon out the plane window. And for those of us in God's family, our destination is amazing. Like no more persecution, no more stale religion, no more lukewarm shrugs. As Jeff said, he's going before to prepare a place for us and we get to be with him. This is not for the record, a boral, boring, sterile experience. We're going to be walking and talking and feasting and exploring with God. And we get to spend forever being in awe of him. Like that's who we get to be with, the one who was and is and is to come. And it's not just for eternity, it's in the now. So we get to practice being in awe of him together. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.